Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on June 23rd, 2013. Today's message is titled, Transformed by the Mission, Jonah, by Pastor Ryan Cochran, and it's based on scripture, Jonah 3 and 4. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story of Jonah. Lord, some of us have known this story for as long as we can remember anything or any other story. For some of us here today, it may be one of the first times we've ever heard it. God, whoever, whichever one of that, us that is today, God, I pray that you would speak your word to us today. God, that you would speak your life and your challenge and your power into our lives as we hear it today. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord be with you. Well, we are continuing this sermon series called Transformed by the Mission. And in this series, we're taking a look at stories in the scriptures when God called his people to a particular task, uh, to some mission. And in these stories that we see that as they acted in obedience, as they responded to God's call, that God changed them. In all of these stories, God calls someone or he, he calls a group of people to go and to do some good work in the world, to serve others, to proclaim the gospel, to pray for others, to accomplish some good work for God's sake. And in these stories, God does use his people to accomplish a good purpose outside of themselves. Uh, they go and they do this task that God has called them to do, and good things happen. They see fruit from their work. But what we've been focusing on over these last few weeks is the fact that God was also working to change his own people. God was doing a good work in the people that he was sending on this mission. Over and over again in these stories, we see the ways that God's concern is, is not only for the project itself, is not only for the thing that he's sending them to do, that God's concern is also for their own heart, their own life before God. And in these stories, we see over and over that God's people learn something about God. They learn something about themselves. They learn something about this world that God has called them to be in as they go on whatever task that God has given to them. And they would not have learned that had they stayed home. Had they not obeyed God's call in their life, they would not have learned these things about God and about themselves and about this world that God has called us to live in. But because they were obedient, because they were obedient to God's command, not only did they have a great opportunity to see God do great things through them and through the works of their hands, but they also had an opportunity to come to know God and to love God in a deeper way. They themselves uh, had greater insight into God's plans and purposes for the world. And so that's what really the, the whole purpose, the, the thesis statement, the conclusion of this whole sermon series is that God, as he sends us, that he is doing a good work in us that we need to pay attention to. He's teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us some things about his character. He's teaching us some truths about the people around us that we need to know. In the story last week, we saw that God uses Moses' leadership to do some amazing things. 
Moses led God's people out of slavery and into the promised land. But when God called Moses to do this back in Exodus chapter 3, God told Moses, Moses, I am the I am. That is my name. That is my character, the I am. And what we saw in the story is that when God first called Moses, that that really didn't mean very much to Moses. He really didn't know what that meant, and after he heard it, he was still afraid to go. He begged God that God would not send him on this task that God had given to him. But over the course of the next 40 years of his life, Moses discovered what it meant for God to be the I am. Moses discovered that God is, that he is real, that he is the Lord over his own heart and also the Lord over Pharaoh's heart. He discovered that God would always be everything that Moses needed him to be at the right time. Moses discovered, as he was obedient to God's call, that God is real, that he is the I am, and that he will be everything that Moses and his people need. Moses would not have learned any of these things about God, would not have truly known them in his heart. Maybe he would have confessed them with his mouth, but would not have truly known them in his heart if he had not been obedient to God's call. And by the end of his life, we saw that Moses is called the greatest prophet that Israel has ever known, and he's one of the greatest leaders that our world has ever seen. Well, this week we're going to look at another story of a man who heard the call of God on his life and very much like Jonah, didn't want to go. He was the reluctant prophet named Jonah. Now, Jonah was a prophet in Israel. He was a prophet primarily to the northern kingdom. And uh, he was called, one day God came to him and he said, uh, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians, who were the greatest enemy of Israel at this time. Jonah, go to Nineveh and warn them that I am going to destroy them. And Jonah hops on a boat and he goes the opposite direction goes as far away from Nineveh as he can go. And the reason, of course, is that he hates the Assyrians. He hates the people who live in Nineveh. It is the largest and most powerful city of the day. The Assyrians were some of the most ruthless and violent people in the world that day. When they conquered a territory, they showed no mercy to those that they conquered. You may remember a few months ago when Pastor Isaac spoke, uh, put, preached a sermon on King Hezekiah. He told us about how ruthless the king of Assyria was. Jonah was fearful of Assyrians. He hated the Assyrians. He knew that they were wicked people. Jonah knows that the city of Nineveh itself is an evil and a violent place, a place of idol worship, a place of injustice and immorality, and Jonah has no interest in being a part of some project where Nineveh is going to be blessed. And so he hops on a boat and he goes in the other direction. And while he's there on the boat, he's sleeping uh, at the lower parts of the boat, and a huge storm comes. And when Jonah wakes up and he knows that this storm is coming, he knows that it's because of him. He has disobeyed God and hopped on this ship uh, going the wrong way. And he knew that he was bringing disaster on this ship. And so he convinced the crew of the boat to throw him overseas or over the over the um, the side of the boat, and he goes over the side of the boat, and the the storm stops, and we know that Jonah is swallowed by a fish. 
Jonah's in the fish for three days, and we read in Jonah chapter 2 that while he's in that fish, Jonah is converted. Jonah comes to know God. He prays to God and asks God for his mercy and his forgiveness. And Jonah comes into a newer and right relationship with God. And then the fish spits Jonah up onto the dry land, and Jonah goes on to Nineveh. It says that Jonah was obedient to God, and he went to Nineveh, and he preaches the shortest and simplest sermon ever. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. That was it. That's all he said. Um, And the whole city repents. They turn to God, and Nineveh is spared. Now, for the most part, I think that that's usually where we stop telling the story of Noah, right? That's usually where we stop telling the story of Noah. At least when I remember my Sunday school days and hearing the story of Noah, that's what I remember happened. Noah is spit out onto the dry land. He goes to the city. He preaches. The mission is successful. Nineveh repents, and that's it. And that's fine, because it's a great story up to that point. There are lots of things that we learn in those first three chapters of, of Jonah. We learn in these chapters that God makes happen whatever he wants happen. We learn that God is able to use a reluctant man like Jonah to accomplish his purposes. We learn that God is in control of the sea, that God is in control of the fish. We learn that God is Lord over the heart of Jonah and Lord over the hearts of the people of Nineveh. It's a great story up to that point, but it's not the end of the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah does not end there. In Jonah chapter 1 through 3, we read about God's purposes for Nineveh and how God uses this reluctant man named Jonah to bring about those purposes. But in Jonah chapter 4, we see the work of God in Jonah's life. Not only in Nineveh's life, but in Jonah's life. God is not finished with the story after the project in Nineveh is all done. God still has a plan for Jonah. So I want to read chapter 4 to you. Jonah chapter 4. After he saw that God had compassion on Nineveh, This is what chapter 4 says. I encourage you to open your Bibles with me and follow along. We'll be looking through chapter 4 for the rest of our time. It says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. One of the most successful preachers the world has ever known. And he's displeased and angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah and gave shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint 
He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? There were some things that Jonah needed to learn. There were some things in Jonah's heart that needed change. And in chapter 4, we read about how God reveals to Jonah his plans and purposes, not only for Jonah and for Israel, but how God reveals his plans to Jonah for people of all the earth. In chapter 4, we learn that the people of Nineveh are not the only ones who need to repent and turn to God. We learn that Jonah himself, a prophet of God, one of the men in Israel who is supposed to be the most spiritual, the most close to God, that he himself is a man who needs to repent. Jonah needs to repent not only from his unwillingness to obey God's commands, he already repents from that when he's in the belly of the fish. Jonah has some more repenting to do as well. God still wants to do more in Jonah's heart. It's not enough for Jonah to remember to love God and to be obedient to God. Jonah's heart also needs to become like God's heart toward those people that God loves. Jonah needs to repent of his own hatred toward his enemies. Jonah needs to repent from his racist attitudes, his stereotypes about the Ninevites, that did not allow him to see the people of Nineveh as people, as people, men and women created in the image of God. What Jonah learns is that as he turns his heart toward God and as he becomes obedient to God, as he comes to know and love God more, God will also change him to love others more as well. Now, the book of Jonah doesn't tell us whether Jonah actually allowed himself to be changed by God. The book of Jonah ends with this question, Jonah, should I not be concerned as the creator God to be concerned about this great city? And it never tells us what Jonah's answer is. The book itself is left open-ended, and I think it's left open-ended so that you and I will answer that question for ourselves. Do we think that God should be concerned for this evil city of Nineveh? And if we do think that God should be concerned for it, then how should we respond to the city that we live in? It never tells us what Jonah's answer is, but at the end of this sermon, I've become convinced this week that I think it's clear that Jonah was, in the end, transformed by the mission. And I hope to convince you of that at the end. So let's take a little bit uh, closer look at Jonah chapter 4 and see what it is about how Jonah needs to learn about how his heart needs to be transformed and changed so that he can grow to love those that God loves. The first thing that I want you to notice about the story of Jonah is that Jonah is very familiar with God's character. 
Jonah is very familiar with God's character. Last week, when we looked at Moses, we saw that Moses needed to learn about God's character. Moses needed to learn God's name. Moses needed to learn God's character so that he could be empowered to do whatever God was calling him to do. But in Jonah's life, he's already very familiar with the character of God. In Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Jonah becomes angry and he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you were slow to anger and abounding in love and a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knows the character of God. Jonah knows that God is the I am. In fact, throughout the book of Jonah, Jonah calls God by this name, I am. Just as a little bit of an aside, uh, in your English Bible, sometimes you'll see the word Lord written in all four capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And whenever you read that in your English Bibles, it is the Hebrew word Yahweh, the name of God. Other times in your Old Testament Bibles, you'll see only the first letter capitalized, the L capitalized, capital L, and then lowercase o-r-d. And if you ever see that in the Old Testament, it is the Hebrew word Elohim, which is just the generic name for God. Throughout the book of Jonah, Jonah calls God by his name. We see only in the book of Jonah, I couldn't find any time when God is referred to as Lord Elohim. He's always referred to as Lord Yahweh. Jonah knows God as I am. Jonah knows the character of God. He knows that he's gracious and compassionate, merciful and slow to anger, and this is why Jonah's so angry. Because he knows the character of God and he doesn't like it. Jonah's heart needs to learn something else, not about the character of God. It seems to me that Jonah knows that. Jonah's heart needs to be formed so that Jonah will love people like God loves people. Jonah is familiar with God's character. Jonah is pleased to be the recipient of this mercy and love, but he does not want his enemies to receive that mercy and love. And so Jonah had to become a man who loved people like God loved people. In this story, Jonah does obey God. He goes into the city of Nineveh and he preaches God's word to them, and after Nineveh repents, Jonah becomes angry. His mission was a success in every worldly way. The task was a success. The mission was accomplished. But God was not finished with the work that he had to do in Jonah. And so in chapter 4, we read that Jonah has his heart turned toward the people of Nineveh. God gently and gradually shows Jonah why God loves the people of Nineveh so much. I love this, and I don't love it. I think it's really sad, actually, in chapter 4, verse 5. After his mission is successful, Jonah goes out and sits down at a place east of the city, and there he makes himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah, Jonah, get over it, man. It's not going to (laughs) happen. He can't let it go. He goes out there in hopes that something bad is still going to happen. He sits there and he waits, and he waits, hoping that something bad will happen. And while he's sitting there, God keeps on working on Jonah's heart. And 
In the desert, he's sitting out there and it's hot and so he makes a shelter for himself and then God makes this vine grow up beside Jonah to shade Jonah from the intense heat and so Jonah enjoys this vine for a day. He loves it. He loves this vine. And then it dies and he becomes angry. And in this moment, God comes to Jonah and has this amazing conversation with Jonah. God says, Jonah, you loved this plant because of what it did for you. You didn't plant it or water it or do anything to make it grow. You did not tend it, but you loved it because it gave you some shade. And now the plant has died and you're so angry that you would like to die. But Jonah, don't you see how much more valuable this great city is than this plant? You didn't tend the plant, but you loved it. You didn't do anything to bring the plant into being, but you loved it. You put no work or effort into the plant, but you loved it. Well, Jonah, I created the people of the city of Nineveh. I lovingly created them. I made them. I know them each by name. If you love this plant, even though you did nothing to care for it, how can I not love these people that I so lovingly made in my image? Jonah, I love people more than plants. Jonah, you should too. We are very much like Jonah, aren't we? We're very much like Jonah. First, we're like Jonah in our disobedience to God, in the ways that we turn away from God's plans and purposes for us. That's one part of the story. If we studied the first two or three chapters that I would want to draw out, we are like Jonah. We run away from God's plans for us when he calls us. But in chapter 4, we also see like we're like, that we are like Jonah in some other ways as well. That even if we love God, even if we are people who seek God in his word and who seek him in prayer, that we are people who have a difficult time loving our enemies. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, even your enemies. The calling of God in all of our lives is to live according to these two great commandments. Whether you're a leader or a follower, whether you serve God publicly and out in front or behind the scenes, whether your calling is to teach or to quietly pray or to quietly serve, Whatever your calling in life is, all of us are called, commanded to love God and to love others, even those who are our enemies. And I think about our lives, and as we think about who we consider our enemies, I was thinking this week that there are really kind of two different categories of people who we might call our enemies. The first category of people are those people in our life who we really find it difficult to love, but who we maybe know very well. Individuals that are actually in our lives. We, we know their name. Maybe they're a part of our family. Maybe they're our co-workers. Maybe it's someone at our church. People in our lives who we find it difficult to love. People who do things that always seem to be against us. People who, for whatever reason, don't seem to like us and maybe are just kind of mean to us people who speak unkindly to us. We all have these people in our lives, people that we know very well and who in some ways in our heart we consider them our enemies because they're always just against us. 
Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul reminds us that our battle is not against those people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the spiritual forces of evil and of sin that are in our own hearts that need to be battled against. In your life, you will always have people who seem to be against you, who don't like you, who you don't like. That person is not your enemy. It is not the one who you are fighting a battle against. Your battle is against sin that is in you and in the heart of the other person. And the way that we fight that kind of battle is only with spiritual weapons. It's only through prayer. And so this is why Jesus tells us, love your enemies and pray for them. When we pray for our enemies, there is something amazing that happens to us. When we pray for our enemies, we see that that these prayers are not only for the people we're praying for, but they're also for us. When we pray for our enemies, we may or may not see any change in them, but I guarantee you, if you pray for your enemies, you will see a change in your own heart toward that person. When we pray for our enemies, we will see a change in us. Our hearts will become soft toward that person. We will learn to respond to that person in love and mercy. You can't pray for a person over and over again that God would bless them and then turn around and cuss them out. It's just impossible to do. If you love them in prayer and bless them, your heart will be changed toward them. When we pray for our enemies, we are doing battle with spiritual realities. We are doing with battle with the sin that is in us and that wants to seek revenge rather than leaving revenge in the hands of God. For those people in your life that you know who are your enemies, God has them in your life for a reason. And one of those reasons may simply for you to be to learn how to pray for them. There's also another kind of enemy that we have. It's not the specific people that we know. It's not people that we uh, have any kind of real relationship with. But it's kind of general people that are around us who we perceive that we don't like. For you, maybe it's a certain ethnic group that you just really don't like very much. You don't like the way that they act. You don't like what they've done to your neighborhood. You don't like whatever it is, and so in your heart you despise this particular group of people. It's not that you don't like any of them specifically, or you hate any of them specifically. You just kind of despise this group of people. Like Jonah towards the Ninevites, you despise them in your heart. Or maybe in your life it's not necessarily kind of an ethnic group, but it's those bad people out there in our city who are immoral. Maybe for you it's the homosexual community that you really just kind of despise in your heart. Or those who support some political position that you don't like. Or maybe it's those teenagers who play their music too loud or who you always see doing drugs on the street. There are these people you don't know. You don't know their name, but there's just this general group of people who you don't like. And maybe like Jonah, you kind of sit back and you hope that something bad will eventually happen to them. These are people that we make our enemies. And God says to us, I 
love these people so much. I made them in my image. I love these people more than I love anything in my whole creation. I love these people more than I love your church building. I love these people so much that I sent my son to die for them. I created them. I love them. Should I not be concerned about them? And shouldn't you as well? So easy for us to just kind of, you know, put our hands on our hips and, you know, tap our feet and tiss, tiss, tiss to all those bad people out there. We make them our enemies in our hearts rather than having the compassion of God toward them and bringing them to God in prayer. Jesus is the one who freely gave up his life and showed us how to love our enemies. Unlike Jonah and unlike us, Jesus was willing to see that the enemy is not flesh and blood, but the enemy was evil and sin that needs to be destroyed. And Jesus humbled himself and ran into our evil world and overcame that evil through the cross. Unlike Jonah and unlike us, Jesus saw that God, his Father, loves people more than he loves anything else in his creation, and Jesus was willing to love them even though they made themselves his enemies. While Jesus was being nailed on the cross, he prayed for them, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Unlike Jonah and unlike us, Jesus knew the character and mercy of his heavenly Father and said yes to God's call to go and to sacrifice himself for those who had made themselves his enemies. Jesus shows us how to love our enemies. This is a hard calling, but there is hope for us, just as there was hope for Jonah. Jonah himself was transformed by the mission. Here's how I know that Jonah was transformed by the mission. The book ends with the question, should I not be concerned about that great city? And it ends with that open-ended question. The story does not tell us what happened, does not tell us how Jonah answered that question. But the answer is there. We have to know that Jonah was changed. How do we know? Well, because we, as we read in the story, Jonah was by himself for the entire story. There was no other witnesses to his story. He was the only one who heard God's call to go to Nineveh. He was all alone in the belly of a whale, was the only one who knew what happened there. He was all alone out on that hilltop overlooking Nineveh, having this conversation with God, all alone, no other witnesses to this story. The only one that could ever tell this story was Jonah himself. And in this book, Jonah looks like a belligerent and disobedient child over and over and over again. And the only kind of person who retells that kind of story about themselves is someone who knows the grace and the mercy of God. This would have been an easy story for Jonah to walk and go, that's a season of my life I'd just like to put behind me, not tell anyone about. But in Jonah's life, 
he retold this story. Because I believe that it was in this story, in this encounter with the Ninevites, in this encounter with the Assyrians, in this encounter with God, he discovered God's gracious and merciful purposes, not only for him and not only for Israel, but for the whole world. And Jonah was willing to retell this story of his belligerence and his disobedience because it was the story of God's grace and mercy that he himself experienced in his own life. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. This is impossible on our own. Lord, we confess to you that we cannot do it. We cannot do it on our own. Lord, we need your help. We need you, by your Spirit, to teach us how to love our enemies and to pray for them. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we despise individuals in our lives or groups of people in our lives. Lord, we confess today that we do not love them, but we know today that you do. And so we ask that you would change our hearts and give us a love for them. Lord, we cannot do this by ourselves. In Christ's name, amen.